And welcome to episode three of Owen the Saints. I'm your host, Patrick Serlis. With me once again is my co-host, Jack Serlis. Jack, how are you doing? Yeah, well, good. Thanks, Pat. Another week boxed, another week closer to that St. Mary's return. So, feeling decent. Yeah, we're getting there. We're getting there. Another week closer, exactly. Well, in a slight change to our scheduled programming, uh, the original plan was to speak to Saints cult hero Richard Chaplow this week. But we've pushed that back a week and we'll be speaking to him instead uh, next Monday for episode four. So, who has bumped chappers for this week's episode? I know what you're thinking, Jack. It must be someone absolutely massive to bump chappers. Uh, I mean, Pat, it's got to be someone absolutely humongous because I can't wait to hear from chappers. I know our listeners can't wait to hear from chappers. So, who is it? <laughs> Who's pushed him back? Well, it is former Saints striker Dexter Blackstock. And uh, let me explain the reasons why we're speaking to him this week. Um, he's an interesting one anyway because he made his professional debut at Saints as a teenager, but we were on the slide out of the Premier League at the time uh, when he was breaking through and he didn't really properly hit his stride until he went on to score lots of goals for QPR in the Championship but then Nottingham Forest. Of course, we wanted to get him on to chat about his time at Saints. As we come on to, he was breaking into the team when we had one of the best uh, youth sides in the country. But the reason why we got him on this week is because we wanted to talk to him about his new career, uh, which is in the medical uh, medical sector, which is obviously very timely and newsworthy considering what's going on with coronavirus at the moment. Dexter's the founder of a company called MediConnect and he popped up onto our radar last week, didn't he? Yeah, that is true, actually. I do remember scrolling down my Twitter feed and seeing a tweet from Dexter Blackstock popping up and seeing that he had over a thousand retweets and uh, quite a few likes. So I thought it was just quite strange, really, seeing as that football season was on. Yeah, exactly. Um, and to explain that tweet, he said, if any hospitals, pharmacies, care homes, etc., need protective masks or gloves, please contact me. Volume is not a problem. And that caught our attention for obviously re- obvious reasons. It seems incredibly random for a former footballer. And we were kind of like, is this the Dexter Blackstock um, tweeting about personal protective equipment uh, and coronavirus? And it turns out it was the Dexter Blackstock. And we were like, let's get him on, let's chat to him, because PPE and a lack of PPE has been a major topic during this coronavirus crisis, with lots of stories reporting on shortages across the NHS and across um, other parts of the healthcare industry. So we thought we'd get Dexter on to find out more about that tweet and more about the work that he's been doing since retiring from football. Uh, Before we get to the interview, though, uh, let's talk about Dexter at Saints. He joined the club from Oxford United as a 17-year-old uh, in 2003, didn't he, Jack? Yeah, exactly. So we signed him for a reported 350 grand. Uh, it was obviously quite a lot of money for a 17-year-old. Um, and I think he was highly sought after at the time. A lot of clubs were looking at him. So someone that came in with massive, massive potential. And, um, you know, I think we did have to use him before we were planning to use him because of an injury crisis. So he scored his only... Premier League goal which I think a lot of Saints fans listening will remember the goal because it came in El Clasico against Pompey um, in a 2-1 win at home at St Mary's he scored the equaliser actually I think it was a right foot volley potential James Beattie handball not sure have a look at it and decide for yourselves but 
doesn't matter. Kevin Phillips eventually scored the winner in that game. Um, but yeah, he also scored a hat-trick against Colchester in the League Cup. Um, he went in goal against Newcastle in the FA Cup after Bartos came off injured. Um, so he had a few notable moments in the Saints shirt. And unfortunately, we got relegated that season with Harry Redknapp in charge. And, you know, he started the championship season as our manager as well. And I think that's when Blackstock's playing time was quite limited. I think Harry was obviously quite reliant on other players that he was a bit more confident of getting a, a few more goals in an important season for us that we needed to bounce back. Um, so that saw him go out on loan to Plymouth and to Derby, where for an 18, for a 17, 18-year-old, um, he did actually do quite well. He scored seven goals between those two clubs. And I think that's what prompted George Burley when he came to the club after Red Dapp left to give him a chance because I think he saw someone that could score goals in the championship and we've we know now that he can score goals in the championship. And um, yeah, when he brought him back, he did score. He scored three more times for Saints. So he's a player that I look at, you know, as, as someone that had massive, massive potential that we, when we signed him. And, you know, it was a sh- obviously we brought in players like Bradley Wright Phillips that replaced Blackstock eventually. But, you know, he was, he was someone that I was excited to see when he, when he came in. And he was also part of a, a whole crop of young players that we had at the time that was just, you know, had, had so many people talking and I think just had massive, massive potential, really. Yeah, I mean, on that team, the, the, the youth team that Dexter was a part of, um, as you said, he was pushed into first-team action uh, quite early. Steve Wigley... Um, giving him a chance in the Premier League. But he had been part of Steve's youth team. Um, and that youth team that season uh, that we got relegated from the Premier League um, got to the FA Youth Cup final, losing to Ipswich 3-2 on aggregate. Um, but I think Saints fans know just how good that youth team was. Um, and if we run through it again, almost... Well, a very, very high percentage of the players in that team went on to have very, very good careers. Some of them at the very highest level, but a lot of them in the Football League. Um, so you had Martin Craney at the back who, who played in the Premier League. You had, obviously, Gareth Bale on the bench um, on, in that FA Youth Cup season um, who's, who went on to Real Madrid and as a Champions League winner. Another Champions League winner in Adam Lallana making contributions to that team. Um, the, the wingers were Nathan Dyer, Premier League winner, and the man of the moment at that time was Theo Walcott, obviously, who, who, who went on to big things. You also had the likes of David McGoldrick and Leon Best up front. Um, McGoldrick still playing in the Premier League for Sheffield United. In midfield, you had Simon Gillett um, and Lloyd James, who, who both um, impressed in the Championship and League One. You also had Tim Spav, who... Um, has gone on to become Finland national team captain, playing 74 times for his country and has had a very good career in Denmark for Mitchelland. Um, so it really was quality right through that youth team. And I think that youth team, we kind of look back and, and everyone says Saints Academy is, is brilliant. Um, and I think that's really where it started, that kind of that initial crop that, that ended up winning their, um, their league that season by 24 points, which is absurd really that's how dominant they were they won the academy south league um and they should have won the fa youth cup um they were better than that ipswich ipswich team um you, you kind of look back at that ipswich side and liam trotter was is probably the biggest name to come from that team he went on Unit. to unit yeah. bad, isn't he? he was yeah he went on to have a good career at millwall um you also had owen garvin in midfield 
who, who played for Palace as well as Ipswich. But you then look at the Saints team on the flip side and that's mm. how good it was. That's how many stars are in that team. Mm. And, and we brought in Dexter from Oxford, but he wasn't the only player that we, that we brought in. I mean, we really made the most of our catchment area, um, didn't we? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think it's you're reminded every other week of how good Saints Academy is. Every time you know you go on Twitter, there's always so many squads that get posted. Just like all these players came from Southampton, and all these players came through Southampton. So it's no secret as of you know how good a academy we had. But I just thought it was interesting looking at those those players that you mentioned and seeing whereabouts in the UK they they actually came from. Because obviously Hampshire is a massive county. We've got a big catchment area down there. And if you're, if you're a talented player in that area, there's a massive chance you're going to end up at Southampton. But if you go through those players, Gareth Bale obviously came from South Wales. Lloyd James, you mentioned, who played 71 times for us in the Championship, you know, a decent player, um, came from the Bristol area. Theo Walcott, as you mentioned, came from Swindon area. Simon Giddett, um, you know, had a great career at Doncaster, as you mentioned. He came from... Oxford, the same as Dexter Backstock. And yeah, I just think it's interesting how we obviously had a really you know, strong scouting network at the time that was able to attract these young players from right across the UK. Yeah, I think that's a very good point. Um, let's, let's speak to Dexter now and get his memories from that, that time at Saints, that academy, um, and playing with that group of players. Um, before we speak to him about Saints, so we're going we're gonna to speak about um, the, the PPE shortage and, and what he's currently uh, doing to help address that with his new company. Um, so yeah, let's speak to let's speak to Dexter. Very pleased to say that we can welcome Dexter Blackstock to the podcast this afternoon. Dexter, how are you doing? Yeah, very well, thank you. Great, thanks for joining us. Um, I think it's fair to say uh, you'll be a name that's very very familiar to Saints fans and to football fans generally. Uh, came through the uh, as a youngster at St Mary's in the mid 2000s going on to score lots of goals at QPR and, and then Forest um, before we get to the football side of things though uh, which we'll come to shortly I wanted to start with what you're up to now um, and that's I guess somewhat unusually for a for a former footballer your uh, career as the CEO of a company called MediConnect um, which describes itself as a, a blockchain based solution aimed to revolutionize the pharmaceutical industry uh, first of all, can you just kind of describe the service that your company provides and tell us how you went from kind of playing for Rotherham, I guess, in, in 2017 to, to now being a, a medical executive? Okay, well, well, first of all, MediConnect's a, a company that is designed um, to, to make a platform. So we're generating a platform that all parties within the pharma chain can use. So doctors, pharmacists, distributors, manufacturers, um, wholesalers can use this platform to add transparency all the way through the supply chain. Is it uh, an app then, or is it so it's it's digital? Yeah, it's digital. So what it would be, it would be something that the public won't won't see. Um, okay. Be working in in the backgrounds and basically verifying authenticity of medication. So uh, at a time like now in this crisis, you've got PPE supplies like um, face masks or or something that's very important mm -hmm. to stop COVID from spreading. But because there's so, so high a demand of stuff, nobody actually knows the authenticity of that, that PPE equipment. But if it was using MediConnect platform, they'll be able to track that, that 
that was made at this place at this time and this was the certification. So it adds full transparency throughout the supply chain. How did you kind of come to, to be the CEO then? Is it it's a company that you founded and, and there's a kind of a gap in the market that you spotted? Yeah, we, found, we, we spotted a gap in the market because what, what it was is there's a big opioid addiction problem in the UK um, mm. and that's largely down to the emergence of online pharmacies. Um, so where we, where, what we realised was is if you order from an online pharmacy, because it's a private business, once you've got your prescription and been signed off from a doctor and everything's fine, that information just stays with that private company. So if you went to pharmacy number two, you could get the same script um, the next day. So people could end up with lethal dosages of prescription medication and they was abusing it. Mm -hmm. So our platform, you wouldn't be able to do that because it would know that you went to the first pharmacy, therefore it would reject it at pharmacy number two so as to safeguard the patients too. Okay, uh, yeah, that makes sense. Um, I, I guess I never really thought about it like that, but you make a good point, yeah. From, a, from an online perspective, it's, I guess it, it's difficult to, to verify whether someone's already been served a prescription or not. Um, is that where, is that where the, the blockchain side of things comes into it then? That's where the blockchain bit comes into it because there's loads of factors that, that come into it that it helps because you could, or in that scenario, you could order two different medications from two different private companies. Then you could go to a walk-in centre. Mm-hmm. then you could there's no transparency so if you if you go to a walk-in center they don't know what you've had last week so if they're prescribing a medication that can't be taken with that medication they don't know there's no there's no transparency so the aim of the blockchain or what MediConnect, which is a blockchain solution is to add a, a, a decentralized system that everyone could can trust and, and, and turn to as authenticity mm-hmm. okay well you mentioned um the kind of current coronavirus crisis. And that brings me on to kind of what for, first brought me um, to your attention and why I wanted to kind of speak to you really. Um, one of the things that's emerged during this crisis is, is a shortage of, of PPE, personal protective equipment. Um, yeah. I, I read a report in The Guardian last week that doctors are being um, bullied and shamed into treating patients despite not having the masks and the eyewear needed to protect themselves. And I think uh, in the same report, it was saying others have even been told ridiculously just to hold their breath just because there's not enough masks to go around. Um, so within that context of, a, of, of the shortage, uh, you tweeted about um, if any hospitals or, or care, care homes, etc., need masks or gloves, please to contact you and that volume is not a problem. Um, and that got uh, a lot of retweets, I think over a thousand likes as well and lots of comments on social media. So can you just talk us through like that that tweet provoked quite a strong reaction i mean what's the fallout been from that it's been massive and i've yeah. been able to to help a lot of people um off the back of that so basically the reason why i come to the fore was is because of the demand so high even the nhs are struggling to keep up with the, the demand of masks gloves or different pp equipment so what's happened is a lot of people now are coming out of the woodworks from nowhere saying that I can provide this, I can do that, but really they can't deliver. Um, so they don't know who to trust. Nobody, it's just got a bit like wild, wild west. People are charging, companies are charging extortionate rates because they know that um, everyone's desperate for them. So me, I stepped into, into this knowing that, a bit like I explained to you earlier on, that as Med- MediConnect needs to have um, contact with all parties of the supply chain. Mm-hmm. So 
we already have relationships with with everyone along the supply chain so we have the contacts with the manufacturers we have the contacts with the distributors the wholesalers so therefore it's easy for me to be able to go to people i know and get the product that people need at the right price instead of getting ripped off from somebody they don't know who's just in it to make Mm -hmm. make a few quid yeah i could i could i have access to ppe equipment that a lot of people don't yeah, I mean, because that, that's another thing as well. I've seen, you've seen stories kind of going around about people, yeah, the, the kind of price gouging and, 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 and getting masks in and then like upselling them by, yeah. uh, by a massive, massive yeah. amount. So um, are you working with hospitals now? Are you working with the NHS? Yes. Has there, have people reached out to you? Yeah, reached out for sure. They've, they've reached out from the NHS, from councils, um, all the way down to small hospices, small mm. Um, care homes because what, what's happened is that the short, there's such a shortage and NHS are the big boys so the suppliers the NHS have obviously taken as much as they can from the suppliers but what, what's has happened is it's, it's leaving the care homes and everyone else basically dry because they can't get anything from their suppliers yeah. and they've not got the endless amounts of money to just buy the NHS out so it's, it's, it's generating a problem lower down so it's a real real issue so I'm just happy that I can help. That was that was kind of late last week. I think it was Thursday. Um, has, has have you already started to kind of get that supply chain um, moving and, and being able to provide PPE then to the places that need it? Of course, there's been over a million a million masks that have been on in the last few days. Wow! So just to show you, and that is just a small a very small percentage of what this country is, is needed at this at this time. So um of course it's huge numbers to the smaller um the smaller level of people but the, the NHS um and the councils and the and the government and the and the care homes in the councils they they're they're going through some big numbers because what's happened is this was yesterday yesterday they changed um legislation a bit because frontline workers are, are passing away mm-hmm. they've done they've up their protection level so that means they can only wear certain pp equipment and they can only wear it for a certain amount of hours so the the rate that they're going through the pp equipment to keep the frontline workers safe has upped massively in the last few days so the demand's gone even more um but for me, that I'm supplying the NHS and, and people higher up, but there's a big concern for hospices and care homes lower down that are really struggling and they, they've just not got the money. So what I've, what I've done is I'm going to... I've got a donate page coming. Okay. Um, I'm speaking to my fellow footballer friends and anyone who wants to donate. Um, and what I'm going to do is the, the proceeds from the donation, I'm going to buy product directly from the factory at cost so 100% non, non-profitable mm-hmm. and then the products come people can donate to where they want to donate so they can actually physically see the product they can actually deliver it and be involved and have their say on where where they would like it to go because I think it's there's people sat there thinking um, my friend works at a hospice down the road or something and I'd love to be able to help out but if you just donate to a big organisation you don't know or see the benefits of course you donated but you don't physically yeah. get to know what was delivered and how that helped 
So this is the process of setting that up. Yeah, that sounds great. That sounds amazing. Um, and when you've got that set up, we we definitely we definitely share that as well. Um, I think even just looking down that tweet that you sent, I think there was lots of examples of people um, kind of reaching out to you and just saying like, so and so that I know at this hospital is desperate for equipment. So um, being able to to not just to donate but to be able to kind of point it in the right direction, I think is really important um yep. so that sounds that sounds great yeah so for, from like you in your position then in the medical um industry i mean I, I kind of sit here and i think a lot a lot of people at home are reading the news and following it um what's your kind of take on the situation as it, as it currently is is the crisis as dire as as we've been reading i mean um there was a quote that i saw from the president of the doctors association dr samantha Bat Rawdon, who said that the lack of personal protective equipment continues to be critical. Um, doctors are dying, n- nurses are dying, and, and we are devastated, and we can no longer stand by and watch as more dedicated colleagues lose their life. I mean, that you've already mentioned that um, that the crisis is bad, but from your perspective in the medical industry and, uh, and seeing the supply chain, is the um, is the supply there? It's just not reaching the right places, or is it a, a kind of desperate shortage? I think it's. I think the supply is there, but it's it's like anything else. It's a bit like toilet paper when everybody went crazy. If everybody runs to something, this cannot keep up with that demand at that period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think eventually it will flatten out. But it's just so clouded because people see it as an opportunity. So they're, they're committing and saying you can have this, and then somebody might pay more. It's certainly it's like any other industry when when there's a lot of money involved. It, it, that can happen do you know what I mean so yeah. I think there is definitely a shortage I think it's it's a very very serious situation it's not being undermined on the news if anything it's been played down mm-hmm. and they still don't believe that we have peaked yet mm-hmm. so and one thing that I could tell you is from my personal deals with the NHS and and governing bodies is they really have put lies before money like that that is one thing for sure so they mm-hmm. they know how important these PPP equipment is and they're paying whatever it costs to get in um, and that within reason of course because they know how desperate it is and it's really a big emergency situation they're working all day I've been working today it's, there's no days off so where where I mean I guess this is more of a, a kind of specific question but where is the PPE coming from then is it from because I'm based in the US and there's lots of talk about getting it in from China and people want it to be made in America. So is this UK based or is this European or China or? Uh, European and China. Yeah. Um, but you, you've got to remember with one mask, there's, there's so many different levels of certification. So what the certification is need for a frontline NHS worker is completely different to um, somebody who's not dealing directly with a COVID-19 patient. Mm-hmm. So there's different levels of, of product and different establishments, establishments need certain levels of equipment and you need to be able to deliver them. But yeah. people are saying they've got one grade, but it's not that grade, it's the different grade. Do you know what I mean? It's just yeah. really everywhere. It's, I think it's amazing what, you, what you're doing and, and being able to use your position to help. Um, are you doing this in kind of through MediConnect or are you kind of just using your contacts that you've made um as as no, the kind of ceo of the company to to, to reach out yeah because we, 
aware of a, a brand that's yeah. been open for years, somebody they can trust. Um, I think that's everything because you just got people opening up a business last week because they, there's an opportunity there. You know what I mean? So it, it separates you from, from other people to know that now you actually have been in the industry, yeah. not just jumped in it. So how do you think this is going to, from your perspective, then how, how do you see it playing out over the next couple of weeks? I think we're going to continue to rise, um, hopefully level out and come back down. Um, but in terms of the PPE equipment, I think that's going to be needed for a year, much more going forward. Because yeah. even when we're, we're out of lockdown, people are still going to want masks, people are still going to want gloves, there's going to be big cautions everywhere. So in terms of the equipment, that, that's going to continue. Yeah, I mean, here, yeah, the CDC guidelines were people should be wearing masks, um, which is kind of like the first time that they've actually come out and said that. Now, Donald Trump is, is not wearing a mask, which kind of undermines the argument a little bit. But yeah. do you think then that from your perspective, then it, that, that sort of guidelines to be wearing masks at all times makes sense? I think it. I think it does help, but again, you've got to have the right mask. Some some yeah. masks people are, are completely useless. But I think it's definitely going to be a massive precaution once we we're allowed back out on the streets. I think so. Yeah. Well, well, best of luck with that. And and as I said, I think it's it's brilliant. And that tweet that that you sent, I think definitely. Well, it caught my, it caught my eye. Um, and I really appreciate you taking the time to talk about what you're doing and what MediConnect are doing. Um. And the, the donate page sounds sounds like a great uh, initiative as well. So, um, if you don't mind, with just a few questions on the football side of things as well. Go on. As as, as I mentioned earlier, you retired in in twenty seventeen, um, age thirty one, um, leaving Rotherham, despite having kind of two years left on your contract. Was that a difficult decision for you to make, or were you kind of already focused on on the business side of things and on on MediConnect? It wasn't difficult because I wasn't enjoying being at Rotherham Football Club so I just um, I didn't want to be in the game just mm-hmm. picking up the money and not enjoying it so I, I, I just took my time elsewhere and that, that's kind of where it was and just never looked back since I had a good career, played played a lot of games a lot of good clubs I didn't really want to go into League One mm-hmm. in a club I wasn't enjoying playing at to be honest so I just called it a day and, and started doing other stuff Yep Fair enough. Um, as far as Southampton's concerned, um, you joined from from Oxford as a teenager. Like, how did that move come about? And and um, and yeah, what what was it about Southampton? At the time, the reason why I chose Southampton instead of the other teams that was interested, like Man United, and there were some big teams at the time, mm-hmm. is there was buying all the best players in the country. So we were assembling the best youth team in the country, um, which we did. And we proved that we was the best youth team in the, in the country. And, and the high percentage of the players, almost all of them, went on to have a career. So it was, it, it was a good choice. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I've got the names here for, for the people that might not remember how, just how good that youth team was. There was yourself, there was the likes of Nathan Dyer, David McGoldrick, Adam Lallana, Gareth Bale, Theo Walcott, Martin Craney, Leon Best... Um, as you said, all of them have kind of gone on to have good careers and, uh, and the likes of Bale. There's, and, more, there's, yeah. more, there's, there's like, who else? Do you say Andrew Sermon? Sermon as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Simon Gillett as well. Yeah, it, just um, going. It, was a, it was an amazing team and, and obviously um, 
the, yeah everybody's gone on to have to have great careers it, looking back on that on that team and playing with that kind of group of, of teenagers and the youngsters was there anyone that stood out at the time for you um as someone like wow I mean obviously Gareth Bale's the one that's gone on to kind of win Champions Leagues but yeah. looking back was it was it clear that he was he was that good or was or was there anyone else that stood out no he, he wasn't he wasn't clear Gareth Gareth was never he was never number one Gareth mm-hmm. he was just he was a left back and he was a very good player um but he was never number one. Theo was was number one. Yeah, you knew he was going to be big. He had the hype. Um, he was big. Lalana, he was always known as as being top top talent. Um, he had a few growing issues and stuff um, throughout the time and, and stuff like that. So he, he didn't he didn't develop as early as his talent would have allowed him. But he, he came through in the end. Um, I'd say them two out of out of everyone was. Yeah, Mark to be the next next big thing. Yeah, and as far as as, as your time at Southampton, is there any kind of standout memories um, that you'd pick out? I mean, from from my side of things, it's, it's obviously the, the Pompey goal um, was big, yeah. um, and you're scoring a, a hat trick on your League Cup debut um, as well. Um, do you look back on your time at Saints with fond memories? Obviously, you went on to to kind of score the bulk of your goals at QPR and Forest. Yeah, no, for sure. With fond memories, that that was the that was some enjoyable times. The Forest coming through the youth team, getting into the first team, uh, playing Premier League football. Yeah, you know they were they were great times. Great club. Um, you know, I recommend anyone to be at Southampton. Well, great. Well, Dexter, thank you so much for taking the time out. I appreciate that you're exceptionally busy at the moment with everything that's going on. Um, yeah. So thanks again. Okay, thanks a lot, man.